TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome back to Better Living. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Today we are talking with a man who's got a lot on his plate and a lot to offer. He is M.T. Webb. He is a master licensed social worker. He is a licensed chemical dependency counselor. He's the clinical director at N Concepts, and he is also an author. The name of the book, The Needy Greedy Dilemma, The Clashing of Cravings Within a Conflicted Mind. M.T. Webb, how are you doing? I am great. Thanks for having me. Well, I really appreciate you coming in. You made a big old long drive. And as I mentioned to you, I really appreciate it when people make the effort to come out here. So once again, thank you for doing that. Carrie Wilcox, friend of the show. She is with Medal for Valor, uh, the Women's Veterans Ranch, and she's also with the Texas Veterans Commission, mentioned that you should come on the show, basically, is, is what came down to it. I reached out, and here you are. So we've got a lot to talk about today and a lot of different subjects, but I think the best way to do it is just to kind of talk about who you are and what you do. Let's talk first about N-Concepts. All right, you're the clinical director there. What do you yeah. guys do there? N-Concepts is an idea I came up with. Uh, with working with different organizations, I said, okay, well, maybe it's time for me to kind of branch out on my own and doing groups for other other people, and that's my specialty is psycho, um, psychodynamic, psychodynamic groups. So I said, okay, well, maybe I can start doing this for myself. So I just contract with uh, different agencies, and I actually provide uh, group therapy and assessments. And one of the main things that I do is what they call SASE assessments for the Department of Transportation for people who need to go back to work. They've been um, DWI, and so they have to be assessed before they can go back to work, and that's one of the things that I do as well. So it's continuing education, CEUs, I think is what you were yeah, calling exactly. them. So continuing yeah, education exactly. units. And substance abuse seminars, and you're also saying that there's a counseling element to almost all this. So really what you're doing is you're providing education and assessment of of people, essentially. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. How did you get into this work? Because you you have a very interesting backstory. (laughs) You served in the military. Yes, I did. And the stuff you did in the military, to me, doesn't really translate to what you're doing now. And it's an interesting story. So how did you come to this work? Well, actually, um, I was in the medical division, so I, was a, I started off as a dental tech slash corpsman in the Navy. Okay. And in the Navy, um, even if you're a dental tech, you're, you still get trained as a corpsman. So I had to learn all the field, med- field, med- field medical emergency procedures, and um, so, I, so that was really interesting. So uh, I didn't know that when I signed the contract, that when war comes, you're a corpsman and you have to go with the CBs, which is how I got stationed with the Marines in Camp Pendleton. <clears throat> and then from there, uh, stationed at Port Wainimi, California, with the NMCB-5, uh, the battalion out of there. And that's when I worked with the CB battalion. And I was part of their med- medical division. Um, so um, but what made me get into the counseling field is that every time someone, one of the guys would come in and they talk to me, and, you know, of course my doctors are saying, hey, you know, we need to move this along. You know, we start talking about more than just their, their teeth or their, their, their broken ankle or the reason why they don't want to go back on the job. And I'm like, well, okay, maybe this might be something I might want to pursue when I leave the military. And that's how I eventually that I got into being a counselor. And then, of course, um, my 
uh, my uncle, I never forget my uncle Frank, he had this magic bag. And I'm like, what is it that he has in his bag that after he, that he drinks this Alexa or whatever it was, he'd feel different. Then I found out he was an alcoholic. And I'm like, okay. So that was, I said, okay, that's what I, that's my calling in life and that's what I'm going to do. So you worked on people physically in the military. Exactly. But this seed of working on their mind started getting into you. Was it something that you actually thought you were going to be able to do? How how did Hmm. this actually become a reality for you? Actually, um, I really didn't think much about it. It was, I think it was more of a natural process. And that's what's okay. It it just came easy just to listen to other people and to listen to their concerns. And I'm saying, well, okay, well, this this could be something that may actually be something I could do for a living. And um, though the doctors didn't like it because it took a lot of time, but it was just it, it was something that, that was just really easy for me. I'm like, okay, this is this may be it. This may be the thing. A lot of education, a lot of time yeah, to do exactly. what you're doing. Were exactly. you were you prepared for that? Because I would think if you're going on the course that you have gone on, school is either going to be a real long, arduous process, or because yes. you're interested, it zips by real quick. And I think that's exactly what it was. Because it was uh part of it was uh the ministry training and part of it was the, the social work training. And I think that was if I remember right, that was the first time I got all A's in school. Is when I went to undergrad school and when I went to uh, social work school, um, giving a shout out to the University of Southern Mississippi, home of Brett Favre, go Eagles. <laughs> How y- you deal with tough subjects yeah. matter. Right. Um, we're kind of joking around here, but you're a serious guy. You, you deal with substance abuse. You deal with suicide. Why that area of all the things that you could talk about you talked about your uncle so you'd been around substance abuse those kind of things but sometimes that pushes people away from those subjects you ran towards it why specifically this field these tougher subjects and i think that was part of my military training because we were taught with the especially being stationed with the marines and the cbs um and being a corpsman with those guys we were the guys that run in to help we weren't the guys that were running out to help and so that kind of just stuck with me and, and never leave a guy behind. And that's even till today, um, that's just just something that you just don't do. So and um, so it was a natural fit. And, of course, I'd never forget when I was uh, doing an internship and they were selecting people to do interns. And no one wanted to go into substance abuse. So they said, hey, we have a substance abuse um, uh, slot open. Anybody want to take it? And, no, no, and so I looked around and I'm like, yeah, so it was. It's just a feel, and it's, and it's unfortunate that it's just a feel that um, it's a difficult feel because you're dealing with clients that are not very receptive, not receptive to change, and and very resistant. Coming from the background that I came from, I'm like, okay, this may be a good fit. And um, thank God for my mom, and bless her heart, bless her soul, she was very tough with us. So the military was was just wasn't even. It was easy. It was easy. Yeah, I mean, y'all got my mom. You know, my mom was like. <laughs> You know, if you don't go to school and beat up the bullet, I'm going to beat you up. I'm like, okay, you know, that's okay. A tough mom is that's no match for a DI. Exactly. Any so day. I'm like, okay, this is this is a good fit. And again, a lot of those clients, um, matter of fact, my first internship um, was the vet center in Biloxi. And again, those uh, hardened guys, military guys like myself, hard drinkers, multiple DWIs, um, dishonorable discharges. The whole works. And those were the people I began serving. 
I want to I want to talk about both of those things, but I want to talk about the jump in between. So once you were done with the military, were you immediately in school to get yeah. on this path? Right. Exactly. All right. So exactly. from one straight into the other. Exactly. exactly. Now, did your wanting to work in the field uh, that you're in it, was that because of being a veteran and and seeing the alcoholism, substance abuse, and, and obviously yeah. suicide that goes on? Yeah. Was that the driving factor there? Right. Were Were the two tied for you? Right. Right. And uh, and particularly after the Gulf War, because. One thing you're not going to see a lot of vets or hear a lot of vets do it. A lot of vets aren't going to talk about their time in the military, and I'm one of them. But that's where a lot, that's where a lot of the the, the damage hold, holding on to that is where it's really difficult because you don't process it. Um, you just kind of repress it and suppress it, and you can't say that it didn't happen, but it did happen. And then, of course, and I and I note this at the end of my book. Um, when you think about the suicide rate. The highest suicide rate is among men between the ages of 50 and 59, middle-aged combat veterans. Because, again, as they get to that point in their life where, okay, I should be here, I should have more money, I should have more of this, and they're not there. And that my heart just went out to that. And then as I began to approach that age, it really hit home. So I'm like, okay, this is, this is something that I really need to do, dedicate my life to. Does End Concept specifically work with veterans? Is this organization open to anybody? Open, How did you yeah. make that yeah. that when, jump? Right. When I started the company, I actually was um, was working at John Peter Smith Hospital, and I would do I was started building End Concepts on the side, and I would see clients on the side, and because um, we didn't have a lot of veterans we would see at the local hospital. And again, we're talking about the county hospital, and we would just see a lot of the county people. But again, my heart was with the veterans, too. So with that platform, it gave me an opportunity to see more than just um, the the Saturday night person who comes in and they drink too much. So I got an opportunity to work with a lot more people. So that's the reason why you wanted to start in concepts. Right. You, I mean, you were already working at a hospital. You're working with veterans. You're doing what you want. What was that additional thing that you wanted out of End Concepts? To be able to teach other professionals and to be able to teach other nonprofits, okay, this is what happens when you're working with this particular population. Because with working with drug and alcohol, because a lot of people don't want to work with it, I said, okay, well, this is an opportunity for me to, mm. with the expertise and the net that I have for it, that I can teach other people that, you know what, yeah, working with addicts is difficult, but here's how you can do it. And that was what led to also me forming in concepts. Were people unfamiliar <clears throat> with how to deal with veterans? Were you, was the literature not there? What was lacking as a professional right. in that field that you saw? I think the biggest thing that was lacking was the severity of of the loneliness, the isolation. And that a lot of people say, well, okay, well, the, well people who commit suicide are cowards. No, that's not that's not really what it is. Is that for and I and I mentioned this in the book, the real reason why people commit suicide, particularly veterans, is because it just simply hurts to live, and the isolation can almost be deafening. So I'm like, okay, this is this is really an area that I need to teach other people about and other professionals about, and especially with the nonprofits um, who may not who get a veteran into their um, into their 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 facility, and they may not understand exactly what those specific needs are. And it's like, well, how can they be isolated? They have their buddies. Well, military guys don't talk like they don't process about. You know what? Today, I feel like blowing my brains out. They don't. We don't. We don't do that. We just. We don't want to bother anybody. We're the guys that go in and help everybody. Now we need help. So it's a it's a different transition. 
So a lot of your work is actually helping other organizations to figure out how to navigate exactly. these waters. Exactly. Do you feel is that really where you are at? Do you think as a professional, more of an educator? Is that is that where you think that you excel? Yeah, I think that's um, at, at, particularly at this time in my life too. And again, it's always I think the the counseling aspect of it is so second nature because I've done it for so long. But now to to broaden into now educating other therapists and other nonprofits that there there is a, a right way and there is a not so right way to to work with these very very difficult populations yeah why is it important to say that there's a wrong you you, you avoided saying there's a wrong way yeah I'd I never like to say that there's a wrong way to do something um, it may not be the best way or the most um, amiable way so and I'm not one to criticize other people and I'm like but there there are there's a best a best way to do it and and one of the things I've learned by by trial and error working with the difficult population Here's what I've learned over the years, and, and a lot of it is what I put in the book, too, and not just helping um, just the clients, but helping those people who help other people. M.T. Webb is the clinical director at N Concepts. He is also an author. His book, available now on Amazon, is The Needy Greedy Dilemma, The Clashing of Cravings Within a Conflicted Mind. How long have you been at this? How long have you been with N Concepts? Um, I started N Concepts in 2013. And, um, well, actually, yeah, 2013. Um, I think I'm getting older, Nick, too. I, <laughs> I, I can't tell how old you are. That's why I had to ask. <laughs> so, like all right, that, that at least kind of paints a little bit uh, more of a picture, which is, which is definitely helpful with this. Now, as we've been saying, you've done a lot with education. You are currently uh, working on your Ph.D., in psychology. So again, more education, working right. on this right. more. Right. Where are you trying to get to? You're a published author. You're uh, a counselor on multiple disciplines. To me, this means that you're looking for something something different. So what do you want to achieve with your doctorate? We want to do uh, one thing that I'm really hoping that we can do more is to do more research as it relates to suicide, as it relates to suicide and isolation. And I didn't understand it until I kind of went through some personal things of my own to where there's a difference between lonely and being alone. And if there's any criteria that I've seen that we really need to, to really look at and is to look at how suicide is coded in the DSM. The DSM-5 is, is, our, is one of our quote-unquote Bibles in mental health. The other one is the ICD, is the International um, registry of mental disorders so you have both of these books one book really does a really good job the icd does a really good job of saying okay suicide here's suicide here's what it looks like whereas the dsm-4 is still is is under is quote under a subject to be studied that kind of sends a, a message in and that, is it is it being studied yeah, it, in, in the well, way that it should be? Like, is it on the so is it, it DSM four and yeah, then five well, is the newest edition? What well, well, DSM five is the is the latest edition? Okay. And the thing is, is that um, suicide is listed more as a symptom of a disease or a symptom of PTSD. It's not a standalone suicidal behavior. Is not a standalone diagnosis in the DSM, and that's not a slight against the DSM. It's not, but it's just. The, the ICD is an international manual, so 193 countries have input into that, whereas the DSM is, um, is, is from the American Psychiatric Association. So um, 
they have changed the game with DSM three to where the beautiful part of what they've done is they made it to where we have uh, classifications and we have this construct of what a mental disorder looks like, and they changed the game with DSM three, and then the ICD was followed. So, but now, but what this, what the ICD has done is say, okay, but we're saying that suicide. Here's what suicidality is, and here we're and we're coding it this way, and that is significant because it gives va- it gives validity that this is a standalone phenomena, and um, the DSM it does great as it relates to it as a symptom, but um, here's the deal. Debt doesn't occur among debt people. Debt occurs within life, so ten percent of people who commit suicide actually have no mental illness at all. So those are the, that's, I, I think about it, a great example I can give you. Here I am, um, fall semester, last semester, and I'm trying to find my classes, and there's so much life on campus at UNT, and I'm just having a great time. I get a text, and, you know, someone died. I'm like, well, okay. I go to church, and, 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 you know, we're having a great time at church, and we get the news that someone's committed suicide in our Bible study. And it's like, that occurs in life, not in debt. So it's, so to write about it in a creative way to where people would still want to read it, that's why I wrote The Needy Greedy, to write it in, because it occurs in, suicide occurs in life as you live. And that's why I wrote the book the way I wrote it. So that's why I, when I um, emailed you, I said, no, it's not a suicide book. It's a life book. And suicide happens in life. And so it was very, very important for me to capture that aspect of it, that suicide is about three things, unmet needs, confliction of mind, and the stigma of, okay, I don't need help. And those are three things that just makes it worse. And so my job, again, what I want to do as a researcher with my PhD is to research those areas, not just among the veteran population, but to let let people know that death occurs in life among the living, and we can't be afraid to address this topic. Explain how that relates to the title "Needy Greedy." Now, when I hear "Needy Greedy," I don't necessarily think of suicide. (laughs) Exactly. And I certainly don't think that the word "needy" is a good thing. I don't hear the word "needy." I hear that as being a negative term. Also, same with "greedy." And that's and and therein lies the dilemma. When when did the word "needy" actually become a bad word? And matter of fact, I use three definitions of the word "needy." And none of them are the needy that we hear in society today. And and when you and when I looked up the word needy, and I used three different definitions, but the one that that really stuck with me um, was that quote: "A needy person is a person subject to oppression and abuse who needs help and needs deliverance." Okay, but now, but what we think here in America of a needy person, we think of someone who obsessively hoards uh, all the attention, gratification, and just smothers all the attention from a room. That's not an emotionally needy person. That's an emotionally greedy person. And that's the difference. So now if, if I'm called needy, I have a legitimate need, but I don't really understand what needy means. And then when I hear someone call me needy, I'm like, well, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me affirming my needs. No. Well, there's a difference between you having legitimate needs and you being emotionally greedy, which is one of the connections that I found with a lot of my clients, even the two people who I wrote the book for, is that the stigma of asserting my needs, 
And one of the, one of the ladies, again, that I shared, which was really interesting, she said, I need you. Well, she wasn't going to get her needs met in that relationship because this guy was committed to someone else. And she took her own life. And I'm like, okay. So the problem was that she had needs, and that was okay. But this was the wrong way to get it met. So the connection between needy and greedy and suicide is that the word needy is actually not a bad word. It's actually a good word. I think we've kind of Americanized it to be something bad, and it's really not. And therein lies the problem. And I say, okay, you shouldn't, I shouldn't take a PhD for me to have to learn and, and, and try to teach other people this. But it's already, I mean, you can look in the dictionary and you look at the word needy, and it doesn't mean what we, it does not mean what we see it to mean today. And therein lies the connection because it's like, I have this legitimate need and it needs to be affirmed. So now when someone calls me needy, now I feel that, okay, well, maybe my need is not as important. Maybe I'm not as important. And now you deal with the confliction of mine is that I have this legitimate need. Am I being greedy or, or, or am I wrong for this? And that's why, I, that's why I wrote the book. Is the idea figuring out the middle path between being needy and being greedy, is that the way to success, understanding those differences yeah. and trying to find a middle path, or do I misunderstand that? Now, to affirm your needs is actually healthy, and that's why I, I, I went at length to describe that, that clearly the emotionally greedy person, that's, that's pretty obvious that, okay, they're not in a position to where they're going to look at their needs and, and say, okay, my needs are important. It's actually the opposite. My needs are important, and they're more important than your needs. Well, okay, well, that's what emotionally greedy people do. But it's the emotional needy person that that's feels that I don't have anything to offer, but I have this need. You call me needy, and needy is bad, but needy is not bad. And therein lies the conflict. And therefore, since needy is bad, then I have this need. Well, then I must be bad, and my needs aren't important. And now I feel a way about myself. And the ultimate result is that now you have this conflicted mind, compromised mind, and maybe I don't need to be here. And the end result is that that person takes their life. For people that are in that position, let's say, what's a good way to describe where they're at? We don't want to say needy. I don't. I think it's going to be hard, and it's going to take a while to reclaim the word needy, in a sense. Yeah, it so is. how should people refer it to is. themselves or those around them that they need something but we don't want to put a negative stigma to it. How, yeah. how should we frame that? Yeah. And, 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 and again, this is how I frame it in, in the book, is that it's okay to say that I have this need. And this is particularly hard with veteran population to where with vets, they're, again, like I told you earlier, we're used to coming in and, and saving the day. We're not used to being in need. And this whole campaign that I'm going to these different cities and, and trying to reclaim the word needy is to affirm that, you know what, it is okay to ask for help. And I've been in that situation. And one of the best things I did in, in coming to carry and other people is the best thing I did was to say, hey, you know what, I'm one of those guys that's in need. And it's okay for me to be in need. And I think it's almost life-saving if you do reclaim it. That is my question. Once you admit that, what right. does that do right. for that person, for those around them? Is it a way to finally get the help that you need? Yes. Is it a way, yes. does it keep suicidal thoughts away? What is the benefit 
of finally recognizing that you do need help and that you're not needy, but you have needs that need to be met. Yeah. When the main benefit that I found is that you're not by yourself and that there is that there's confirmation that this need that I have, that it's not wrong. And this is not a wrong thing to be in need. And that's the thing that um, that's liberating. And when you and when you reach out, a lot of times, I, I think that's too. That, that is, which is also why I'm on this campaign, because people that are ill-informed that don't know, and when someone does reach out, one of the worst things you can do is when someone reaches out to help and and you don't get that help. And it's it's kind of like, um, and, and the best example that I like to use, it's like kind of like going to the hospital to get your arm healed, and you go there and nobody knows what they're doing. That's that's not a good feeling. No. Yeah. So and but that's exactly how someone feels um, who's in a conflicted state of mind is that who can I process this with? And when I say I have this need, it's almost like it's, it's almost, and, I, and I see it in the eyes of clients who I work with. It's almost like taking a balloon and, you're, and, and it's like it's a relief. OK, I'm not crazy. I'm not abnormal. So it's OK if I have a legitimate need that this need, though it may be unusual, is this is okay. And just having that confirmation in and of itself is liberating. And, and Nick, this is the, I, 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 honest to God, truth, I have seven kids. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven kids. And, what are their names? Oh, Bryson, Ashley, Mookie, or Robert, <laughs> uh, Jasmine, uh, Robin, Caleb, did I miss one? I lost count. Me too. <laughs> and Bryson. There you go. All right. That's why I always have to add. When people say yeah. they have over four kids, I have okay. to hear them name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 and, and they would choke me if I didn't get it right. <laughs> and the thing I learned, which is also one of the main reasons I wrote this, all seven of those kids have unique needs. Now, I hear parents say, well, I raise all my kids the same way. As a therapist, I'm like, okay. Um, as a father, I'm like, that's probably not 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 exactly the truth because each one of them have different needs um bryson wonderful young man love him he's working for the state right now and he's got a great job he i didn't have to really come down hard on him even though he's a football player right big guy i never had to come down hard on him the youngest one jasmine never had to come down hard on her but everybody in the middle mookie was the real problem wasn't yeah, he well, yeah you would know it right <laughs> but uh it, it actually was cj killer was the problem and he's the only one that has the bible name so i don't know what that's all about <laughs> but he was him and i fell out so many times but again each one had different needs one wanted more hugs than the other so if i was and jasmine was the one that wanted more hugs than the rest of them so if i was to refer to her as needy that would have crushed her no huh. And she's not emotionally greedy. She just required more more hugs than the rest of them did. You know, the big guy, he didn't want me to hug him. But, <laughs> but she just, every now and then, she, had her, she has her hands up. And that's what made me come with this title, is that, wait a minute, just because she requires more hugs than other ones, that doesn't make her, that doesn't make her emotionally greedy. She just has some unique needs. And I have to be sensitive to those. It's a very, very interesting look at, at this whole subject, and I think that this is definitely applicable to your life and dealing with other people. I know that you, you deal a lot with uh, companies and businesses and helping them to train people, and like you are saying, also nonprofits. It's 
fascinating. The book is entitled The Needy Greedy Dilemma, The Clashing of Cravings Within a Conflicted Mind. M.T. Webb is the clinical director at N Concepts. You can find them online at nconcepts.net. He's going to be a doctor soon. He's almost there. Where are you getting your schooling done? You on University of uh, North Texas in Denton. Down at UNT. UNT. Love it. Great All right, campus. man. And you said that you were on tour real quick. How is this tour going? Where are you going? How does this we, work? We are. Um, I'm going to be in Fort Worth on tentatively the 27th. And um, then I'm moving to Waco, to Austin. And then I'll end for July. I'll actually be home for a little while. So I'm going to be in Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Gulfport, and Hattiesburg. So just, again, a little bit of a book tour here. So I'm getting a chance to travel. So Do you uh, like it? Oh, I, 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 the, the audience is heavenly, but the traveling is hell, as the, as the, old, <laughs> as the old song says. I would so. figure that being in the military, you were all over the place. You told me off mic. You were in a lot of different places. Right. So I, I would think that you, you were into travel. You're just you're done uh, with it? Oh, no, I love traveling. Uh, uh, just the thing is this. Uh, and then I love driving. So And then a lot of these places I'm just driving to. So that's going to really be fun. And I'm actually, I got invited to go to uh, Arizona to fly out. There's a suicide conference there in October, so I'll be speaking out there as well. All right, man. Well, I wish you the best of luck with everything. Once again, the book, The Needy Greedy Dilemma, The Clashing of Cravings Within a Conflicted Mind, available now on Amazon. More details about all the good work that MT is doing at nconcepts.net. Sir, I wish you the best of luck, and I really appreciate you stopping by today. Thanks for having me. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.